Welcome to the Movement Logic Podcast with yoga teacher and strength coach Laurel Beversdorf and physical therapist Dr. Sarah Court. With over 30 years combined experience in the yoga, movement, and physical therapy worlds, we believe in strong opinions loosely held, which means we're not hyping outdated movement concepts. Instead, we're here with up-to-date and cutting-edge tools, evidence, and ideas to help you as a mover and a teacher. Welcome to episode 19 of the Movement Logic Podcast. I'm Dr. Sarah Court, physical therapist and personal assistant to a very old, very cranky dog. And today I'm going to talk about nose breathing. Specifically, what happens when you nose breathe versus mouth breathe? Why most of us are breathing too quickly and too shallowly either way? How to teach yourself to nose breathe if you're a mouth breather? What is nitric oxide and why do we want more of it? And why getting rid of carbon dioxide while breathing maybe isn't the goal, but more studies are needed around that topic. And then at the end of this episode, we're going to practice a breathing technique that creates the best scenario for both oxygen absorption and maintaining appropriate carbon dioxide levels in our bodies. So the title of this episode is... Oh no, nose breathing and nitric oxide. And it's a very nerdy joke because NO is the formula for nitric oxide. NO, no, get it? Hilarious. Uh, Nitrous oxide is N2O, and that's the laughing gas that you get at the dentist. Nitric oxide is NO, and that means it has more oxygen to nitrogen ratio, which changes how it behaves. A lot of this information came from the book Breath by James Nestor, which I will link to in the show notes, and I'll also link to his website where many breathing techniques are available to learn. Now, this is a book that several people over several years have told me to read, and the fact that I hadn't read it until now, I blame on my very immature, don't tell me what to do response to literally any time anyone says anything like, you know what you should do? But it was our episode earlier this season about breathing, that's episode 10, where I realized that I really needed to learn more about this subject from a medical standpoint. As a yoga teacher and practitioner, I was trained in several pranayama techniques, many of which are the origins of the techniques Nestor describes in his book. It's a great example of how older civilizations developed methods that were at first downplayed or dismissed by a supposedly quote-unquote more intelligent Western perspective, but now that Western perspective is quote-unquote discovering these techniques as if they are brand new. (laughs) That's a different podcast, but I wanted to make sure I acknowledge this in regards to what Nestor writes about. And he, to be fair, he also acknowledges this several times in his book. Okay, so what are the positive effects of nose breathing, and what are the negative effects of mouth breathing? Most of us probably know that breathing through the nose warms, cleans, and moistens the air as it moves through the sinuses before entering the lungs. That's pretty standard, like, high school biology class information. You may not remember it, but it shouldn't sound, you know, foreign or like a new thing. But the part that we may not know as much about is that the sinus epithelium and that are those are the cells that line the sinuses, are constantly synthesizing nitric oxide. They're making it all the time. The scientific discoveries around the significance of this only took place about 20 or 30 years ago, which in research terms is like saying last week. Things very move very slowly in the research world for a good reason. 
since the sinuses are constantly producing nitric oxide, that means when we inhale through the nose, the air that we inhale is bathed in nitric oxide as it makes its way down to the lungs. And we release nitric oxide when we exhale through the nose. Uh, when they do research studies around mouth breathing, there's far less nitric oxide exhaled versus nose breathing. So that's how they sort of discovered that we're breathing in nitric oxide when we breathe in through our nose. So here's what we know about nitric oxide and what it does. It's something called a vasodilator, which means it relaxes the smooth muscles in the vascular walls, in the walls of your arteries, which allows more blood to flow through an area with less constriction. It's also a bronchodilator, which means it causes widening of the bronchi, which are those first tubes that lead to your lungs. Uh, people with asthma use bronchodilator medications to create the same effect, to get more air into their body. And I thought this was interesting. Nitric oxide is used as a rescue treatment, which means in an emergency, against acute respiratory distress syndrome, which was a major complication of COVID. Uh, there were even some papers written at the early part of the pandemic suggesting using nitric oxide before, you know, vaccine and other treatments were developed in an attempt to help people with their uh, breathing. Nitric oxide is also toxic to a lot of bacteria and viruses. So inhaling through the nose not only cleans the air of dust particles, it can also get rid of harmful bacteria or viruses before they get into your lungs. It also, it's so cool, it does so many things. It also increases ciliary movement. Whenever I look at that word, I think of that very handsome actor, what's his name, Killian... Oh, I can't think of it. Now I can't think of it, but I always think of his name because it's spelt the same way. Similarly, not that close. I just want an excuse to talk about him, even though I don't remember what his last name is. He's on that show, Peaky Blinders. He's got cheekbones that would cut glass. He just, just extraordinary face. Did I think when I started this episode, I'd be talking about him? I didn't. Maybe at some point later in the episode, I'll remember what his last name is, but Murphy, Killian Murphy. There we go. <laughs> He's a good Irish boy. Anyway, that's got nothing to do with anything that I'm talking about right now, but I just thought I'd put his face in your mind. And if you don't know what he looks like, go look up Killian Murphy and just say, hmm, yes. Anyway, uh, nitric oxide, more to the point, increases ciliary movement. The cilia are these little hairs in your sinuses, in the sinus mucosa. They, they beat in rhythm together, which is so cool. The bodies are so cool and it increases um, mucus secretion. So together, that kind of beating and the mucus uh, removes, helps to remove the dust and viral particles from the respiratory tract. It also enhances blood oxygenation, which ultimately makes breathing a more efficient delivery system of oxygen to the lungs than mouth breathing. But we're going to talk about that a little bit more later. And it also reduces something called pulmonary vascular resistance, which means it increases the movement of oxygenated blood through the heart from the lungs. And both of those last ones are because it's a bronchodilator. So there's a lot of really good uh, things that, that nitric oxide does. And we really only get access to any of those things if we breathe through our noses. So mouth breathing, on the other hand, it's been shown in experiments to have a much more reduced amount of nitric oxide as we now understand because the nitric oxide is being produced by the sinuses, not by the throat. 
So we're already, if you're, if you're mouth breathing, you're losing all of those benefits that we already discussed, but it gets worse. Mouth breathing has been linked to a lot of things, including abnormal facial and dental development. A lot of the time, meaning a mouth cavity that's actually too small for the amount of teeth and tongue size of your tongue that you have cardiovascular disease, fatigue, headaches, high blood pressure, chronic inflammation, sleep apnea, snoring, stress, stress, and tooth decay. Mouth breathing during sleep puts you at a higher risk of developing a respiratory tract infection because you don't have that nitric oxide that is toxic to the bacteria that is helping to keep the area clean. Uh, I also have to say, in the past two years, three, however long it's been at this point of wearing a mask, uh, has kind of turned me into a mouth breather because there's that feeling when you have the mask over your nose and your mouth that you can't get enough air in and you need to kind of like open your mouth wider. Or there was a period of time, whoops, I just hit the, the microphone. There was a period of time where I was kind of jutting my chin forward underneath the mask to try to like make a bigger, sp- I don't know. Maybe some of you had that experience as well. Uh, it gives us the impression wearing the mask that we can't get enough air in if we're nose breathing. But, you know, that's not true. That's just sort of a psychological effect. Uh, and I even tested it myself because I was one of those nerds with a um, pulse oximeter, anything that you put on your finger and it reads how what's the percentage of oxygen in your blood. And my oxygen was well over 95%, which is where it is supposed to be. So nose breathing under a mask is not less efficient. You'll still breathe and, and get just as much air as you need. So overall, whether we are mouth breathing or nose breathing, we're not breathing deeply enough on a regular basis. And there've been studies of people using computers, and and I have felt myself do this, where people just take very, very shallow breaths for quite a long period of time, and even have like long periods where they're holding their breath, and then take like a really big deep breath because their body is like, hey, oh, I need some oxygen. So if we breathe shallowly, what are the negative impacts of that? And this is coming out of uh, Nestor's book. We end up doing what Nestor calls over-breathing, meaning we have to take more breaths per minute in order to get enough oxygen to our cells. Let me just repeat that. So when we breathe in a really shallow way, we end up having to take more breaths. So hopefully that makes sense because each breath is not getting enough oxygen into our body. The shallowness of the breath, it reduces the amount of time that our lungs have to take the oxygen that's in the inhaled breath into our blood cells. And we end up actually exhaling a lot of that oxygen back out again. So that shallow breathing is really inefficient. Uh, We get nowhere near enough oxygen and we end up wasting a lot of the oxygen that we breathe in because it doesn't stay there long enough. And the, I find this very interesting that the medical number for what's considered a normal respiratory rate, number of breaths per minute is between 12 and 20 breaths per minute. And that's, I learned that in PT school. Like that's what I learned as sort of standard, you know, between 12 and 20 breaths per minute. But according to Nestor, that puts us well into that overbreathing category. You know, when they, when they develop these numbers for breathing, you know, I, to be honest, I don't know how they do it, but I think it has something to do with just observing 
a lot of people over time and, and seeing what they're doing and like, okay, well, this is normal. This person doesn't have any respiratory disease or illness or, or history of asthma or, you know, any of those things. And this is how much they're breathing. So we'll call this normal. But again, per, per Nestor's book, we're taking way too many breaths and they're too shallow and they're not effective. This idea of overbreathing also places a higher demand on the heart because it has to work harder to pump blood that is less oxygenated around the body to keep up with the demand for oxygen. So hopefully that makes sense to you guys that like, it's just the, the heart has to do more because the, the, the oxygenated blood that it's getting is not sufficiently oxygenated. And so it has to just push more and more and more of it through to get enough oxygen to the cells. This next thing that I'm going to talk about is one of Nestor's claims in his book. Uh, when I did a deeper dive into the science of blood pH levels and gas exchange and what's happening, I'm not sure it's quite as simple as he describes, but I'm going to tell you what he says happens with the carbon dioxide part of breathing. So this is what Nestor says. When we overbreathe, we expel too much carbon dioxide and our blood pH rises and becomes more alkaline or more basic. Those two words mean the same thing. The kidneys respond to the blood becoming more alkaline by doing something called buffering. I always think of like video, <laughs> video buffering, but that's not what it is. Buffering removes bicarbonate from the body, which is also alkaline or base. And that way it brings the blood pH back down to neutral. And Nestor says that at that point, we start pulling minerals out of our bones as part of the buffering process, which, which can then weaken our bones. So if bone density and bone strength is something you are concerned with, you might want to look into how you are breathing and at, very, at the very least get on the nose breathing train. And again, I don't know that it's as simple as that. And also, you know, to get to the point where you're weakening your bones because you're breathing shallowly might take a really long time. But whether or not this last part is accurate, I think we already have a really pretty good argument for nose breathing just based on everything else that we've seen so far. So if we don't overbreathe, if we do the opposite and we take longer, slower breaths, what happens? Well, a few interesting things happen. The slower, longer breaths give your lungs more opportunity to soak up all the oxygen in that inhaled air, which means that each breath is a better oxygen delivery system and the heart doesn't have to work as hard because the blood is more oxygenated. We might think that slow breathing while exercising would decrease the amount of oxygen we're getting into our bodies, but here's the thing, your blood oxygen saturation stays at the same level with slow breathing than if you were huffing and puffing. Not only that, but it increases your blood carbon dioxide, which then allows the body more time to exhale it during the slow exhale. Uh, there's also arguments being made for increased tolerance of carbon dioxide in the body, but I'm not going to go into that for now. That's a huge science rabbit hole. Here's something that I think is really interesting. Part of how we lose weight, a large part of how we lose weight, if we're trying to for any reason, is through our exhaled air. Uh, carbohydrates and fat we lose about 85% of it through that exhaled carbon dioxide and only 15% of it through sweat and urine. So slowing down your breath and giving your body a chance to properly expel carbon dioxide on the exhale would might be helpful if you are trying to lose weight. I just, I think it's so fascinating 
that we, I don't, and, and I've learned this before, but I always kind of forget it and relearn it that exhaling is how we lose most of the weight that we lose if we're trying to, well, whether or not we're trying to lose it. Um, we sort of think that it gets burned up somehow and it does. Um, and it gets burned up and turned into carbon dioxide and expelled through the breath, which is just kind of wild. Anyway, I think that's kind of wild. So one of the things that Nestor does in the book is he actually increases his exercise endurance, how hard he's able to exercise and for how long, uh, by practicing slow breathing while he's exercising. So I did it as like a little mini experiment the other day while I was hiking. And as the going got harder and the incline got harder, instead of what I naturally do, which is just open my mouth and start breathing through my mouth, uh, I kept my mouth shut and I breathed through my nose. And I don't know if there's any way to measure this. And this is not a scientific experiment. This is just a little like me trying something at home. But what I found was when I stopped to take a break, I recovered more quickly and I didn't need as much time before I could start up again. Again, that was not anything particularly scientific. That was just me faffing about and trying something. But I do think it's interesting. And I think, I think it would be an interesting experiment for you to try as well. Next time you're doing something that is, uh, you know, actually I was about to say cardiovascular, but you could do it at any point. I mean, I certainly, when I'm lifting weights, my heart rate gets going and I can start to mouth breathe sometimes. So see what happens if you purposefully try to keep your mouth shut and really take deep, slow breaths through your nose. It's, it's interesting. It's interesting. I think it's worth experimenting with. Hey guys, it's Sarah. Laurel and I really hope you're enjoying the new Movement Logic podcast. We are having a, such a good time. We both really love sharing ideas with each other and getting sparked by things that the other person has learned. Our goal for the show was to help you feel the same way so that you can feel excited and inspired by what you're learning and even maybe take some of these ideas into your teaching. That would be that would be amazing if that's what happened. I'd be so happy because I, oh my God, we both know what it feels like to be uninspired, to be stuck in a rut, desperately trying to come up with new ideas. So you, you take another training and it just ends up, you fall back into your old habits the things you already know how to do because it's too hard to change who you are as a teacher. We've all been there. The whole reason why we created the Movement Logic tutorials was so that you can enhance what you're already good at instead of trying to be some other different kind of a teacher. Every Movement Logic tutorial contains so much to help you do that. Hours and hours of anatomy, kinesiology, myth busting. Myth busting is maybe my favorite part of the whole thing. But most importantly, dozens of exercises that help you with strength or flexibility or functional movement, whatever you and your clients want to do in their life. Because we're so grateful that you are listening to our podcast, we have a podcast exclusive discount to say thank you for supporting our efforts with your years. What you can do is you enter the coupon code podcast at checkout to receive 10% off of your entire purchase. You heard that right. You go to movementlogictutorials.com, take a little scroll through all of our different tutorials, stick some of them in your cart, the ones that you're like, ooh, pelvic floor, ooh, shoulders, and then enter the code podcast at checkout and you'll receive 10% off your entire purchase because we appreciate you. So thank you and go forth and save. So... 
how do I train myself to be a nose breather? It's a, I think it's a good question. Uh, it's the kind of thing where if you are a mouth breather, it's like when somebody points out like, Hey, did you know that you always, when you're standing, you always stand on your left leg and you stick your right leg out to the side. And you're like, Oh, I had no, I didn't realize I was doing that. Kind of the same with mouth breathing. Like there are definitely times throughout the day where I've just kind of got my mouth open and uh, <laughs> just <laughs> drooling. No, but I notice that like I'm that I'm breathing through my mouth for no reason, not because there's any exertion. So I think part of it is um, recognizing that it has become your your default setting, and we need to restore factory settings, which is breathing through the nose. <laughs> So how do we do this? Well, there are breathing exercises that you can do to practice nose breathing. And Nestor has videos for many of them on his website. And again, I'm going to link to that in the show notes. But you can also look for a pranayama class in your neighborhood or online and practice a lot of original yogic breathing techniques that way. And, you know, I, I and I say this only out of just sort of general ignorance around other modalities, but in the yogic practices, breathing through the nose is pretty much the the standard, whether you are doing a, a pranayama that is designed to be upregulating and exciting to your nervous system and, and waking you up, or whether you're doing something that is more calming and downregulating. Either way, inhale and exhale generally is through the nose. So the yogic breathing techniques are really a good way to practice that and to kind of just get your body used to that feeling. The bigger issue sometimes is breathing at night because obviously if you're sleeping, you can't be like, hey, close your mouth, sleeping, Sarah. So you can tape your lips shut. (laughs) I know it sounds insane, but I did talk about this on episode 10. This is something that I had started to do. Um, So if you tape your lips shut, it obviously forces you to breathe through your nose. Um, if it's something that makes you feel claustrophobic to have your lips taped shut, then that's going to be something, but you, uh, you may want to play around with how you're doing it in order to have it be both comfortable and also, um, not feel like you're lipping, (laughs) lipping, ripping your lip skin off. That's not an easy sentence to say. So some people say you just put a piece of tape directly in the middle of your mouth on both lips. I found that really uncomfortable. And what I prefer to do is put on like a little bit of lip balm so it doesn't actually stick to my lips. And then I do an X uh, across the middle. X marks the spot. So that the tape is actually sticking to my skin above and below my mouth instead. So when I started doing this, it actually had nothing to do with breathing through my nose. I mean, it, it obviously it did, but it had more to do with I was a really big jaw clencher. You know, you hear about people who grind their teeth, but some people just like clench, like <laughs> clench really hard while they're sleeping. And I, I, yes. Okay. Whatever that means, uh, go to town Freudians. Uh, but I would wake up, I would wake up with headaches because I was, had been clenching my jaw so hard. And so when I started taping my mouth, it allowed all of those jaw muscles to actually relax and it had the bonus effect of making me breathe through my nose. And as a result, I would sleep. So I honestly, I did it last night. I sleep so well when I close my mouth forcibly. So you can definitely try that out. Uh, people have sort of mixed, you you really do have to play around with how you're applying the tape and, um, until you find a, a, a way to do it that feels comfortable to you. 
Uh, and I think it, the other thing is, you know, it's like anything when you're trying to do something new, you just kind of have to keep an eye on yourself. Like that example I gave in the beginning about standing on one leg and sticking your other leg out to the side, you're going to catch yourself doing it, whether you mean to or not. And so when you catch yourself doing it, you have to uh, just zip the lip, right? So you might also find that it helps to pay attention to when this is happening. So do you find yourself breathing through your mouth when you're wearing a mask? Do you find yourself breathing through the mouth when you're sitting in front of the computer doing work? Um, what, what other times might you notice it? I, uh, ride a motorcycle and sometimes I find myself breathing through my mouth when I'm on the bike and I have to purposely close my mouth. So you can also try forcing yourself to nose breathe when you're exercising, like I like I discussed earlier, but I do want to make the point, if you're not sure if for you this is a good thing to do, please ask your medical provider. If you've got any sort of like, you know, breathing restriction or issues or uh, conditions, there may be a reason not to do it. I don't know. I'm not a medical doctor. <laughs> even though my whole family seems to think that I am. Uh, but so, so there may be, there may be conditions for which forcing yourself to nose breathe when there's a exercise, uh, that, that, that is upping the, the requirements for oxygen in your body. For example, if someone has exercise induced asthma, I don't know if forcing yourself to nose breathe at that point is a good thing. It, it might be, it might be, but again, this is not, I'm sort of reporting on this book. I'm talking about my own personal experiences. I'm not making any sort of medical diagnosis or claims or anything like that. Okay. So slow breathing allows for what Nestor calls peak efficiency of breath. And the optimal breath length, according to him, is a 5.5 second inhale, a 5.5 second exhale, which means you take 5.5 breaths per minute. And I thought what was interesting is he he found that in a lot of traditional non-Western practices, like yoga practice, like some um, meditation, Buddhist, Tibetan practices that he looked at and some other ones, a lot of them came to roughly this same time conclusion, which I thought was really cool. Um it allows for the greatest amount of oxygen absorption and carbon dioxide expulsion. If you're like, well, how the heck am I supposed to measure a, a 5.5 second inhale? You can always just do a six second inhale and a six second exhale. And that comes out to about five breaths per minute. And just as a reminder, the current uh, accepted idea of what is a normal number of breaths per minute is between 12 and 20 you're doing less than half of what's considered the normal number of breaths per minute. So what I'd like to do now is try some slow breathing with you based on this formula. And in order to get a 5.5 second inhale and exhale, I am using a metronome app that is set to 65 beats per minute which makes it a lot easier because you just count six beats for the inhale and you count six beats for the exhale. And that's going to work out to 5.5 breaths total per minute. I just want to be very clear. I wasn't clever enough to figure this out with math. I just tried several different beat per minute numbers until I got to the right one. 
that created this 5.5 inhale, 5.5 exhale. So if you have a metronome app, uh, and they're free, you can just download them onto your phone, uh, set it to that 65 beats per minute, and that's going to give you that 5.5 inhale and exhale uh, amount. So I would like to try you and me now together three minutes worth of this. And I encourage you to do it as well. If you are listening to this while you're doing something like driving a car or something else that is taking your attention in a very meaningful way, please do not do this uh, because you're going to have to count. And I don't want to add another distraction to your driving. So you can either fast forward this part or just listen to a metronome for three minutes. Uh, but I do encourage you to do it with me if you can, or come back to this episode and try it with me, or just, you know, get your own metronome app and, and set it to 65 beats per minute and try it for a few minutes and just see how it feels. If you do try this with me and there's anything that does not feel okay, please stop. Or if you have any respiratory syndromes or conditions, please only do this if you know that it is something you would be cleared for by your doctor. Mild discomfort is okay. Uh, especially if you don't usually breathe this slowly, your brain is going to be like, oh, what is happening? Um, anything more than mild discomfort is not okay. And I would like you to stop. So here, I'm going to play the metronome sound for you. <laughs> it only gave me a few different sound options, and this was the, the least offensive one, I promise. Okay, I'm going to stop that. So uh, I'm going to start that metronome, and then... When I stop talking, I'm going to start this inhale six and exhale six, inhale six beats, exhale six beats pretty, pretty soon right after I stop talking. So you will just count to the beat on your own each time. And, um, when I've done this with people before, sometimes, uh, it's hard for them to, to continue the count on their own, they can kind of get lost in the count. So if that happens to you, don't worry, just start over. Uh, there's probably an app that will count with someone speaking numbers, or I've done it before with people where I've been the one actually counting like one, two, three, like that. But because I'm going to do this with you, I'm not going to be counting. So you're in charge of counting each time. And we'll see how it goes. It's just a little experiment. It's a little experiment. Okay, so here we go. I'm going to start the metronome and then I'm going to stop talking and I'm going to start counting and breathing.
Okay, so finish whatever exhale you are on. And just sit for a second and feel how that feels. I can say for myself, I feel uh, oxygenated. That seems like a silly thing to say. But I feel um, kind of like energized, but not in a caffeinated way, you know, just kind of more, a little more awake. It's a bit early in the morning right now. So, so it definitely helps. Um, my feet started to feel kind of tingly, which was, which was interesting. And I always benefit personally from any sort of practice that requires you to do something like counting, even though counting is pretty simple. As far as meditation practices, it, it, it for me at least gives me something to focus on and and it might be interesting to use this breath in your own meditation practice or as a meditation practice, if you wanted to start one where you've got the metronome going and you're just counting and, you know, you do that for five minutes. I mean, that was three minutes that we did. I didn't feel like that was impossible personally. With that said, I've done, um, a fair amount of, of breathing practices before, and that kind of slower, deeper breathing is not new to me. I know that with a couple of people that I've tried this with, getting all the way to six beats on an inhale uh, felt very hard. They kind of ran out of breath somewhere around four. And then the same with exhaling. They didn't, they exhaled everything out before they got to the six. So if that happened to you, please know that that's not unusual. And I would suggest uh, maybe starting with uh, the, the count that your body can tolerate so that you can do it for a longer period of time. So maybe you start with a four second, uh, four beat inhale rather, and a four beat exhale. And obviously that's going to be more breaths per minute, but it's still probably, uh, math. I don't know. It's probably still lower than what's considered normal, which is that 12 breaths per minute. So I would say try it out and maybe you could then work your way towards, you know, five second and then six second or five count and then six count. Uh, I would love if any of you did that and you had an interesting experience, uh, if you would share it either in a review on iTunes or in comments on our website or over social media when we post about the episode. Uh, because I do, I have noticed that pe people have very different experiences with it and, there is, of course, you know, a nervous system component, and if it starts to feel like you to you like you are um, restricting your breath, like let's say you didn't easily get to that six count, and you get to your four, and you're like, oh god, I'm holding my breath in, and then you exhale the four, and you're like, oh god, I'm holding my breath out, like that is, that is agitating to your nervous system. Uh, and so, if that's something that was happening, I would definitely recommend starting with that lower count. Um, but I don't you know, that's, that's not the goal of this, of this style of breathing, but I, I really do think it's, um, I think I kind of, I like it. I just, I like it. You know, I just, I like it. I think it's good. Uh, okay. <laughs> I hope this has been informative, uh, entertaining possibly, and helps you understand the value of nose breathing. So go forth and tape your mouth shut tonight. <laughs> If you don't know what medical tape is, or you ha aren't familiar with it, or you don't have any, I'll link to, uh, you know, a medical tape in the show notes as well. Please do not tape your mouth with anything that is not meant for skin.
Duct tape is not your friend, people. Neither is scotch tape, by the way. All right. Well, you can check out the show notes for all those links to references and uh, products that I mentioned in the podcast. You can visit the Movement Logic website where you get on our mailing list for free content and all that important sales information. If you like to watch more than listen, you can watch the video version of this and all of our other episodes on our website as well. And that is www.movementlogictutorials.com forward slash podcast. Thank you so much for joining me on the Movement Logic podcast. It, it really helps us out in a big, big way. If you like this episode and you haven't yet already, please subscribe and rate and review it on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. We would be super, super appreciative if you would subscribe and if you have time, rate. Of course you have time. And if you're going to rate, it's five stars. Clearly, this is a five-star level content. Listen, who else out there is just making you listen to a metronome for three minutes straight? That is compelling, compelling podcasting right there. Anyway, um, if you if you feel like writing a review, if there's something that you would like us to cover that we haven't talked about, stick it in that review because we read them and we will. There's there's been a few things so far that we're definitely going to cover either later in this season or in our in our next season. And please join us again next week for more movement logic and more of our loosely held yet very strong opinions. <laughs> <laughs>